Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We are a movement of men pursuing faith, character, personal growth, and meaningful friendships. If you'd like to learn more about us and our mission to rebuild the American family one man at a time, please visit us at heartofaman.org. We hope you enjoy this lesson from our series called Genesis, Why Is It This Way? If you haven't met me yet, I've hopefully shook your hand at least at the door. Uh, I'm Kyle Moore, and uh, if you couldn't tell, I am Bill's son, uh, just a younger version of him. And um, I'm really excited to be able to share a little bit more in depth on this topic of Genesis chapter 2. And uh, tonight we're going to home in on two topics, and it's work and marriage. And, and, And this is the aim for tonight, that each of you, my hope is that each of you would go home tonight, number one, with the renewed motivation to work diligently in cultivating and maintaining the garden in which God has placed each of you. (laughs) And that secondly, you'd leave here with a new perspective of and love and appreciation for your wife or your future wife. Let's pray before we get started. Father in heaven, you are so good. You're faithful, you're the creator, uh, you, you love us. Uh, you've given us tasks to do. Um, you don't waste our time, Lord. And um, you're just so good, Lord. And so I pray that, uh, that your words would come through, Lord. Silence, uh, silence the distractions. Push me aside, I pray. God, would you just push me out of, the, out of the way so that your words can come through. And I pray that you'd open all of our hearts, Lord. Speak to me. Speak to these men through what you, you have to say tonight. So we need you, Holy Spirit, fill this place. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, the first area of focus tonight is the topic of work. And this is the principle that man has been designated by God to maintain and cultivate a garden which God created and assigned to the man. In Genesis 2.15, it says, The Lord took the man And he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So as a reminder from last week, uh, we, we we, we saw that God gave us this example that he worked six days and he rested on one. On the seventh day, we must rest. But the question for today is, what does working on the other days include? Now, there's four key areas in each of our lives in which God has given us the task of cultivating and maintaining that which he created. And the first area that we should be cultivating and maintaining is in our profession or our occupation. This is the one we, we naturally think of when we hear work. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul is writing to the Thessalonians and he says, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some of you, some some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. The Bible makes it clear that our profession exists with one key end in mind. And that is to earn an income for the purpose of providing for the material needs of ourselves and our family. So if, the, if that's the purpose of your occupation, what does it look like to cultivate and maintain that garden, that, ele- that, that area of the garden which God has given you? Here's a few practical ways that we can be living that calling. As 2 Thessalonians says, it says, do your job quietly and earn 
earn your living. So here's a few thoughts. Arrive on time and leave on time. Don't be a showboat who gloats or, or draws attention to yourself when you're working. Don't be a pain in your boss's or your company's side, constantly complaining, griping, or gossiping. And then be an example of godly character. Treat your coworkers kindly. Conduct your transactions with honesty and transparency. And then lastly, when it's difficult, dig in. As Colossians 3.23 says, work heartily, knowing that, I love this, it's whatever you do, whatever work you're doing, it doesn't matter. Whatever you do, God is the one assessing your work. He's assessing the value of it, and he's the one assigning the, the awards and the rewards. So my question is, what attitudes and expectations towards your occupation need to be reset to better align with God's simple intent for this area of work. Now, the second, uh, the second area in our gardens that we should be cultivating and maintaining is that of our family. And there's three key areas. It's our marriage, our children, and then our relationship with our parents. Marriage is hard, hard work. We know that. But the question is, how much intentionality does your marriage, the work of your marriage, receive in your six days of working? In our professions, there's an intentionality that's built into our day. You get up, you either go to an office or, or a job site, or you sit down at your desk and you sign into your computer. There's an expectation for you, either from your boss or from your clients, that you have tasks to complete, and you're going to complete them by a specific time. And lastly, there's an understanding that if you don't show up, you do not complete your tasks, or you do not deliver your product, you will face repercussions or you will lose your clients. If marriage is a part of God-ordained work, of our God-ordained work, just like our profession is, then what are the tasks and deliverables that we should be focusing on as husbands? I'm a simple guy, so I like to keep it simple. So, and thank, thank God he knows how we're wired, and so he keeps it simple too. Ephesians 5 says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her. And then in 1 Peter, he says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Peter makes it clear that when we are not intentional about this work, the work of our marriage, it not only hurts our wife and hurts us, but it, it hurts our connection with God. So when we step into the office of our marriage each day or evening, these are the focal points that I hope each of us can really focus on. Don't overcomplicate it. Love my wife. Sacrifice for my wife. Understand my wife. And do it, do it for the purpose of of drawing you closer to Christ. That's why you choose to do those things is because Christ has called you to that. Those are my tasks because the Lord is looking over me and he's tasked me with doing those for my wife and I will benefit from it. My family will benefit from it. My wife will benefit from it. The second area for cultivating and maintaining in a family is in your parenting. Uh, in Ephesians chapter six, Paul says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Our children 
and our wife are the two groups of people or two people who, who we should love more than anybody on earth. This should be the easiest for us. If, if we are expending more blood and sweat and tears in our profession than we are in ensuring that our, our wives and our kids feel God's love and know his word and are being led towards him, we are missing the mark, you guys. They should get our blood, sweat, and tears. So what does it look like to cultivate and maintain in parenting our children? There's a lot of good things we should be doing. Here's a few ideas. Number one is deprioritizing our own hobbies and our desires to spend more time with our kids. I'm so grateful because my dad's motto was always quantity of time is quality time. And that's so true. Spend as much time with your kids as you can. We should be praying for our kids every single day. We should be on our knees. We should be looking and finding every way possible to expose them to God's love and goodness in his word. And then we should be doing the difficult task of teaching them boundaries and showing them discipline. You know, uh, a couple weeks ago, it was actually after our first uh, night of Heart of a Man, I was... Um, I was sitting on my bed, and I hate my iPhone. I hate it so much, but it has a few good things. And as I sat down there, I plugged it in, it, it pops up a slideshow, and it says, Annie, over the last three years, that's my daughter, she's three years old, and I'm like, oh boy. And so I click it, and it's going through pictures of my daughter from when she was born until, <laughs> until recently. I just, I'm looking at these pictures and I see her in these little dresses. I remember this little yellow flower dress she had. It was the first time I ever see her put a dress on and she spins around and she's just so, she felt so pretty in it. And, and looking at those pictures, it made me realize that that child who, who was then and the child who I left at dinner tonight, she's gone. Those moments, those moments that you have, with your kids go away, they go away so quickly. And, it, and what that made me realize is that nothing matters more around my children than ensuring that they spend eternity with me and with Christ. And so I, I, we got to push ourselves that when, when there's blood, sweat, and tears coming out, let it be with our wife and with our kids because that matters. The third area for our families that... You probably didn't, maybe didn't expect this one. I hope you did, but is that we should be investing uh, in our relationship with our parents. Uh, I've worked with a lot of guys here at Heart of a Man, and I can tell you that this one really matters and it really changes your life and the lives of people around you. In Ephesians, um, Paul is, is looking back at one of the, this commandment, and he says, first, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's us. We're all, we're all children. But then he says, honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise. That's his words. And then he says, the promise is this, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. I think about, uh, if you guys ever met Aaron Reber, he's, he's one of our leaders. He's one of our heart group leaders. And Aaron had a, a deep, deep hatred towards his father and a, a, just a disdain for his mom. And 
he spent a lot of time healing from the wounds of their relationship. And, and after for being able to forgive them, he started rebuilding uh, bridges with his parents. And when you look at his life now, you wonder, what, what's, what's changed? And when, when he started that process, he was in a dead-end job, and his relationships were bad. And, and now he's got a great job, a thriving marriage. He's got great friends, and he's got less anxiety. And it has gone very well for him in the land God has given to him. And you ask why? It started when he got intentional about repairing the relationship with his parents. He came to us because he said, I got this anger towards my dad and it's tearing my life apart. And he wanted to get rid of the anger, but he, he realized he had to forgive his dad. And so going through that process, he started honoring his father and mother and God said, it's gonna go well in the land I've given you. And so maintaining and, and, and cultivating that relationship with your parents, it's so important, you guys. Three questions to wrap that part up. Number one is how much planning, energy, and investment are you making in loving, understanding, and sacrificing for your wife? Number two is how much time are you spending with your kids? And what are they learning about God, his word, and, and, and his discipline? during those times. And finally, what do you need to repair in your relationship with your parents so that you can honor them, trusting that God, he will bless you if you, if you endeavor in this way. All right, the third area that uh, God's given us a garden he needs us to maintain and cultivate is within the body of believers. Romans chapter 12 says this, for as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And the last part, let us use them. Let us use them. God has gifted each of us, each one of you, with skills and abilities that are unique to you and are intended to be used for the body of believers. The question is, how actively are you serving the body of believers? And the caveat to this, many people think that these gifts and talents, these spiritual gifts are something that you, you have, that, that God's given you, that you just were born with. And, and the fact of the matter is that God doesn't reveal your spiritual gifting that's to be used for the body until you start serving the body. What's an example of this? I look back at, uh, you know, I've watched my dad serve. I'm like, all right, I probably should, should try to serve too. And so Started in, in college, I was uh, a counselor for second and third graders and a Sunday school teacher. Maybe not my gifting. Um, so it gets better, though. Then I thought it'd be a good idea to serve sixth through eighth grade boys. Um, I don't know whose gifting that is, but it wasn't mine. And then, but then I looked back, and as I started um, trying to serve, I looked back and I remembered my sophomore year of high school. I wasn't really following the Lord, but I was saved. And I had this opportunity to, to teach the Bible to my sophomore English class. And I got done and I was like, okay, that was weird. I was comfortable. Like people are like, man, that was really good. And then, okay. So then in college, I got the same opportunity. And similarly, it went well. Seemed like people were, were learning and and. And then I served in other ways. And so you guys might be like, wow, this is not his spiritual gift. He shouldn't be up there. But it, it seemed like that, that this, doing this, was a way that, that God gifted me. And I only learned that, though, by stepping in, by, by getting in the seat and going, that didn't work, that didn't work, 
Okay, maybe that worked, lean in, and okay, this, this could be something, and it seems to help the body. So my question to you is, what are ways you can serve the body, especially ones that you think for you are totally outlandish? What are the crazy ideas that you think, no way is that me? Go try it. Go try it. Who will you reach out to this week so that you can get engaged in serving the body? The final area which we should be cultivating and maintaining within, uh, is within the community in which we live. In Acts, the text says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Uh, about a month ago, if you're a College Park member, you'll remember this, uh, David Platt uh, came, came to the church and he issued this challenge to the church. And he said, he said church, we need, to, we need to aggressively take Christ to the 1040 region. And I'm like, yeah, let's go. I'm pumped up. I love this. And then what came on that was a challenge back to myself to ask, what am I doing right here? If I'm not reaching out, inviting people into my home, caring for my neighbors, and seeking the lost right here where I and where you speak the language don't have to travel, have tons in common, and understand the cultural norms. How could I be so arrogant to think that I'm going to go reach unsaved people in a place where it's hundreds and thousands or thousands of times harder? I don't speak the language. Uh, I, I don't know the people. We need to challenge ourselves to get serious about living a missional life starting right here. The book of Acts says that we're to be his witnesses, and, and he's specific. He says, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and then to the end of the earth. Those are concentric circles that move outward from a, from a place of shared values and cultural norms and, and people that you know, all the way out to a place where you are, you are unwelcome, it's unknown, you're unaware of the culture, you're uncomfortable, and you probably don't speak the language. God is gracious, and he's given us each a path and a progression so we should start here, cultivating and maintaining the relationships and opportunities with unbelievers who are directly before us. And then when we do that, let's be ready for God to expand our garden. He wants us to start here. Who do you need to build a relationship with this year so that through your friendship, they will come to know who Christ really is? We have six days to work each week. Let us work heartily in our profession, in our family, in the body of believers, and in the community around us. Now switch gears with me. We're moving to the topic of marriage. And here's the principle. God created woman, marriage, as the solution to man's problem of being alone. And here's, here's a refresher on the aim. My, my hope is really, as you, as you listen, that you'll leave here with a new perspective of and a love and appreciation for your wife or your future wife. Now, let me make a couple notes before I jump into the core of this. The first one is this. Uh, for those of you in here who are single and, and are desiring a wife, I just want to say to you guys first, for, for myself, um, for my family and, and, and the heart of a man team, man, we we really ache along, along with you now. We love that desire of your heart. You know, my, my older brother, um, he's, he, he lived in this until he was 32, and my co-leader, Mitch, is still living in this right now, this 
frustration, this confusion and anger of wondering, how long, O Lord, do you even care? And so for those of you who are single, my, my hope as I share the value of a wife is that it will foster a healthy anticipation so that when your right wife arrives and when you find that, uh, that marriage is really hard, that you'll appreciate the gift. Waiting is one of the hard tools that God uses to help us change and grow and value what he gives us. I hope, I hope this, this message energizes you to, as my brother often said, to wait well, to wait well. And for the, for the men in here who have walked the painful road of divorce, I'm, I'm really sad that, that marriage ended that way for you. You know, Matthew, in Matthew 19, uh, Jesus talks about divorce and he says, it wasn't meant to be this way, but, but it, it happened because there was a hardness of hearts between the man and the woman. Somewhere in there, there were hearts that were hard and so divorce happened. And I, I haven't been through divorce, but I have been through seasons where my heart and my wife's hearts have been hard towards each other and it is painful and so I pray that through this vision of how we should see our wife, that you will find a hope, find hope for a new redeemed marriage in the future, should that be the Lord's will for you, and that it will be a marriage built with soft hearts. All right, so into this idea of marriage, this is the ideal, you guys. This is, we want to paint a high picture of, of, of what we should aspire to and what we should be thinking about in marriage. And so man alone is not good. How is marriage to one woman, the solution. The Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make the helper fit for him. When we look at this text, the Hebrew word used to describe woman is the word ezer, ezer. Uh, I YouTube that to make sure I would say it right. Uh, the nearest translation of this, we YouTube everything, my generation. Uh, the nearest translation of this word is helper aid. And to better understand the word, it's really helpful to look throughout, throughout uh, Scripture and find where that word is used. And the book of Psalms uh, uses it quite a bit. In Psalm 33, David says, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. He is our ezer and our shield. And then in Psalm 70, he says, But I am, I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You, you are my help and my deliverer. Oh, Lord, do not delay. This term, ezer, is used to describe God himself. And it comes to a person who is vulnerable and in need of help. So this is the main question. Where are we as men inherently vulnerable? And how does being married to one woman help us? The first area, how marriage helps us. Your wife is your barometer. To the scientists in the room, what's a barometer? A barometer is an instrument that's used to measure atmospheric pressure. It's designed to measure and display what is happening in the environment. There's a Christian author named Ken Nair, and he wrote this book called Discovering the Mind of a Woman. Uh, I don't love the title, but the book is really good. If you're looking for a great book on, on marriage, it's such a good book. And he, and he says, your wife is your barometer. Your wife displays for you how you're affecting your environment. And the important part of a barometer is that a barometer does not choose whether it's going to display what's happening in the environment. God designed our wives to be the same way. He designed them 
to display to us, to show us how we are uh, affecting the environment of our marriage and our home. So here's an example to illustrate. I hope, I hope I'm not the only one who's experienced this, but if, I did, if it's me, whatever. Uh, you've, you've had a long day at work. Um, it was stressful. It was hard work. And you pull into the driveway, and you're like, all right, all right, I'm stressed out, but if I walk in like this, it's not going to go well. So I'm going to sit here. I'm going to shake it off. I'm going to equilibrate. And you think, you're ready to walk in. I'm feeling good. And you walk in, and you see your wife. She's got a smile on her face. And she looks at you, and something in, in what she sees, she just, her smile goes away. It's like she sees right through what I'm trying to put on and what I'm actually feeling, what I'm doing, she, it affects her. Uh, another one, and this one really hit me personally, is that I remember the first time I heard my wife say a cuss word in, in her frustration. And the words she used and the way she used it, all that I could do was shake my head, not because she said it, but because I said it. Those were my words. And she was reflecting back to me how I had been, who I had been within our home. God has graciously designed your wife to be a barometer to display before your eyes the effect that you're having on the atmosphere of your marriage and your home. When your wife shows you the effect of yourself this week, how will you respond? The second area that our wife helps us is that our wife is our companion. At Heart of a Man, our team and, and some of our leaders have worked really hard to compile data on the state of men in, in, in the United States. And a really sad piece of information we talk about a lot is that 89% of men say that they don't have a close friend who they could call on and count on in a time of need. Now, my question is, how many of us are embracing our wife as our best friend? And I know Someone's going to say, well, my wife is, our wife is my best friend. It's the Christian answer. You have to say that, but let, let me push into this a little bit. Seriously, let me push in. What qualifies a person as your best friend? Let's think about it. A best friend is a person you love to be with. Okay, hopefully that's the case. Uh, you know everything about each other, probably likely. It's the person who you can say anything to. And they'll stick with you and they'll work through it with you. Seven years. That's how long it's taken my wife and I to come to a point where we finally and just barely have started to practice fully open, honest, trusting communication with each other. I'm not saying, we think about a friend. My wife is my friend. She is. We've had, a, I love my wife so much. These guys can say it. AJ was encouraging me today just how much he's seen. I love my, love my wife. But that's not, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is this. December 31st, 2022, that was the day the Lord finally brought us and me to a point where he was like, all right, take them off, gloves off. No more hiding, no more running. The only way that you will really trust each other, the only way you will, she will be your companion is if you open up wide open and commit to letting each other into your hearts and thoughts. And this is the key part, before and above anybody else. Some of us don't let anybody in. 
And that person needs to be our wife. And some of us let everybody else in and our wife is the FYI at the end. That's me. And when God saw man alone, he said, this isn't good. And he did not provide a small group of dudes. I think it's, uh, he didn't. I think this is really good, but it's not what he provided. When God looked at a, at a man alone, he provided a woman, a wife. God intends for your wife to be your first and primary line of community. And it's hard. 2,685 days. That's the number of days from when I met my wife until we finally got a little glimpse of this ideal. 2,685 days. It's hard. But man, it's been a month since I've I really tasted that. But I can tell you, I've had a little taste. And guys, it is worth it. It is worth it. It's so good. So my question to you is, what do you need to start doing or continue doing so that your wife can truly be your best friend and your primary companion, just as God had intended. This is the final area, the final area that our wife helps us, but it's not about us. It's not about us. The final area that our wife, being married to one woman, helps is by being our fellow servant. Christopher Ash of the Gospel Coalition contends that when God saw man alone, and he said, this isn't good. He saw, yes, those vulnerabilities I've described. But what he, what he really saw was that he looked at the amount of work, the volume of work, and the type of work. And, and it was clear that without a helper, an aid, a fellow servant, man simply would not be able to execute God's tasks by himself. He wouldn't be able to do it. So there's three ways there's probably more, but there's three ways that I've thought of that a wife is critical as a fellow servant of God. The first is procreation and child rearing. God said in Genesis 1.28, and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. God's plan was built on this model of birthing children, raising them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, and then spreading out. Untainted by sin and brokenness, this is the perfect model for God's glory and image to fill literally the whole earth. Praise God that he gives us a spouse to share the weight and the joy of creating and raising children so that they and we can fill the earth with God's image, God's knowledge, and God's glory. The second area that this is critical, having this servant alongside of us is, that, uh, is, is through faithful intimacy. On a primal level, God providing a wife to man is his way to allow healthy God -honoring, a, a healthy God-honoring outlet for sex and intimacy. Sexual desire is created by God. Sexual desire is created by God. When he tells humans to multiply, in that moment, something changed within us. His, word, his words created a God-given inherent desire to procreate through sex. And if you read through Song of Solomon's, God intends for us to enjoy it. God made us to desire sex and graciously, graciously provided one wife in marriage to allow the healthy expression of that. And at a higher level, level, marriage to and sex and intimacy with one woman is an example to the world 
of God's love for us. In Ephesians 5, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he says this. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. God made it clear in his word that when we remain faithful to our spouse, physically, emotionally, and sexually, we are modeling for the world what his love looks like. That's how we're serving together. Our wife is our fellow servant by together showing God's love through our, through our faithful intimacy to one another. That faithfulness to each other shows God's love and faithfulness to the world. Finally, our marriage, uh, our, 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 our wife is our fellow servant in creating social order. Marriage between one man and woman is God's plan for creating a stable societal foundation. And we see this played out in two critical ways. The first is that without faithful God-honoring marriage, we are left with unbridled sexual expression, which creates a society filled with chaos and distrust. Here's a few examples. 85% of men who are incarcerated came from homes which did not have a father present. That statistic is a direct result of unbridled sex and an uncommitted, unfaithful relationship. It's a direct result. The embracing of LGBTQ ideologies has created immense chaos and confusion within our schools and within our children. Being an adolescent or a child and figuring out who you are and where you fit and belong in the world is, is already confusing enough. And this agenda has layered another level of confusion upon that by proposing that your gender and your sexuality is something that is not, st that is not static, but is in fact defined by you. That creates confusion and chaos in the world. Finally, in my own marriage, the effects of my unbridled sexual desires when I was a younger man before being married carried over for many years into our marriage, creating distrust in the sexual part of our relationship and especially fueling my wife's insecurities about her self-image and her self-worth and tainting our intimate moments together. But in faithful God-ordained marriage, there's none of that. God's idea of marriage where sex is between one man and one woman creates a stable social order. Finally, marriage creates social order through the two becoming one. In Genesis 1, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then in Genesis 2, he says, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Together, man and woman become a more complete embodiment of who God is. And within the home, we see this played out. It's exemplified really well. I think about, you guys know my dad. I think about my house. There was two very different people in that home. It's my dad, full of energy, loves the Lord, passionate, full speed, uh, no risk is irrelevant. If someone gets hurt, that's fine. Let's keep going. And my mom also loves the Lord. Uh, gentle, patient, very risk averse. You put them apart, and I don't know how I end up 
but you put them together, and what do I have? I, I am balanced, but I also have a much clearer picture of who God is. Marriage provides balance in the home and the world, where man alone shows specific yet incomplete characteristics of God. Together, man and wife provide a fuller picture of God himself. That's the point. What in your perspective of your wife needs to change so that you can truly celebrate and embrace her as a fellow servant alongside of you to carry out God's will? I'll close with this. As a quick summary, God calls each of us to work and keep a garden in which he's placed us. How will you do that in your profession, in your family, in the body of believers, and in, the com- in, in your community? How will you do that this week and this year? And then secondly, God created woman and marriage as the solution to man's problem of being alone. What role of your wife do you need to embrace this week so that you can truly value her as your barometer, as your companion, or as your fellow servant? Let us work heartily at the task God has given us and let us appreciate the wives God has given us or the wives, God, the wives God will give to us in the future. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this time. Thank you for these guys. And um, Lord, help us to do the work you've given us well. Help us not get pigeonholed into one type of work, Lord. Help work-life balance look like doing work six days in all these four areas and being, and being serious about it. And help us to appreciate and value our wives. Lord, I pray when we get home tonight, for those of us who are married, that when we walk in the door, our wives would be like, what happened to you? What happened to you? And it would be, I love you. I love you and I appreciate you. And that we would tell our wives what we appreciate about them. Help that to be the case tonight, Lord. Thank you for what you've given us in Jesus' name. Amen.